0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new podcast we're calling Get Unstuck and On Target. We're speaking with inspiring business leaders to uncover tips and tools to help you break down barriers that are keeping you or perhaps your business stuck. I'm your host, Mike O'Neill, with Bench Builders, and joining me today is a longtime friend, Randy Waskell. Welcome, Randy.
1: Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be here with you today.
0: I'm very much looking forward to spending time with you today. I've known you for a long time, Randy, but for those folks who have not met you, will you do me a favor? Would you share a little bit about Randy Waskell, a little about the company that you work for? And I would be particularly interested in learning a little more about the professional path that kind of led you to your current role.
1: Absolutely. Well, as Mike said, my name is Randy Waskell. Um, I uh, am a resident in the Dalton, Georgia area, but I work for a a large multinational company uh, with a headquarters in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, The company is uh, the Birla Carbon Company, somebody you've never heard of, but somebody who plays a role in your life every day. Uh, We manufacture carbon black, which is a a material that is used uh, extensively in the rubber, manufactured rubber goods, uh, paint, pigments, plastics industry. Uh, We are the world's largest manufacturer um, we have uh, operations in 12 countries. I have 16 plants, two R&D facilities. Uh, but we're part of a larger organization called the Birla Group. It is a family-owned and operated conglomerate headquartered in Mumbai, India, with about 26 different businesses under that umbrella. Everything from telecommunications to chemicals to uh, fiber, fabric, clothing, uh, apparel, fashion, uh, finance, insurance, truly a conglomerate that exists today. Uh, I came to Adichabirla from kind of on an interesting path. Uh, I'm a chemical engineer by background. I've been working in the environmental health, safety, and sustainability arena for over 30 years in a variety of companies, Uh, everything from working for the U.S. government, manufacturing munitions and cleaning up munition sites to uh, large chemical companies, manufacturing plastics and plastic precursors, food ingredients, textiles, that's what brought me to North Georgia, and meeting Mike, um, and now working back in the chemicals industry. Uh, I lead the health safety environment and product stewardship function for the company, overseeing those activities worldwide, so dealing with organizations similar to the EPA, uh, OSHA, uh, around the world, and helping our customers understand what it is we do, what we produce, and why it's a safe product to use.
0: Wow. Wow. You have an impressive background. Um, you, your title, Environmental Health and Safety, and then you said something a little bit I didn't pick up on prior, and that is product stewardship. What does that mean?
1: Well, one of the things that we, we have to work closely with our customers is to understand the safety of our product. We, we deem that, and most industry deems that as a product stewardship role. Um, helping people understand the efficacy and the safety of your product, the testing that's been done, why that product fits into a particular niche uh, for use. Some of our product, for example, goes into food contact and skin contact, which has very rigorous regulations with the FDA here in the U.S., uh, reach in Europe and similar organizations around the world, providing our customers with the data and details that go into that, Um, We have toxicologists, epidemiologists, uh, and a number of other scientists that work with us in gathering that data. Basically, I serve as a translator of taking that technical data, translating it to what the customer needs to uh, reassure them that it meets their requirements. Even something as simple as uh, an automobile tire. Uh, We work, you know, about 70% of our product goes into the automotive industry. A large portion of that goes into tires. The automotive industry has its own set of quality standards. We have to ensure that our product meets the specific requirements for that. So the product stewardship role really is a combination of legal, quality, environmental health, and safety, truly a a full-bodied and sustainability functionality to help the customer understand that it's okay to purchase our product. And we've got the data behind that to support using it in the roles that they're looking for.
0: Uh, That's very interesting. Randy, you and I crossed paths originally uh, in our respective professional roles. Um, I was in HR. You were in a corporate environmental health and safety role. But there's a specific reason why I've invited you to be one of our earliest guests. And that is, yes, you were in a corporate compliance role when we worked together. But I was always impressed on how you went about leading that function in a way that kind of gave me a clear sense that you were not just seen, and your people were not just seen as a necessary evil. And I was gonna ask you, if you don't mind, help me better understand that. Did I read you correctly? And that is, you're trying to be much more of a resource versus the safety police?
1: Absolutely, Mike. You hit the nail on the head so many times Young organizations, smaller organizations look at the environmental and the safety functions as something we have to do. We have to meet those compliance requirements. We have to meet the law. But there's so much more that we can bring to the table as environmental health and safety professionals. My goal in my organization has always been to bring value to the bottom line of the organization. And whether that is in helping the company itself understand the flexibility that we can give them. Keeping our people safe, obviously, is our first and foremost focus. But also, how do we protect the environment? How do we share that message, uh, that positive message, with the community that, we're, that gives us the license to operate? And how do we share that with our stakeholders, internal and external, to give them a level of comfort knowing that it's okay what we're doing. We're taking all the necessary steps, but also to show our customers, many times, that we're going above and beyond. We are standouts in what we do because we take it serious in that if we don't, we won't have a supply chain to provide that customer. So it's reinforcing for them, you know, and that's part of what I've spent the last 30 years doing. It is helping my organization understand that we can bring more to the table than just compliance. We can help them grow their bottom line through the activities that we put in place and by putting good professionals in place. We don't wanna be the safety police. That's the last thing. Safety is not the job of the safety department, right? It is every person's job. Environmental compliance is every person's job in that if you see something wrong, you say something and you fix it then and there. The the impacts of a safety issue uh, go far beyond just that individual. It affects the bottom line and can affect the reputation of the company.
0: You know, Randy, we know that the folks listening are leaders. They may be owning a business. They may be in a key leadership role. They may be leading an HR function. So one of the things you'll find is I'm going to be asking questions and looking for responses that would be most appealing to leaders. But what you just described is you work for a large multinational company, but you have worked for smaller companies as well. Might what you've shared thus far equally apply regardless of the size of the company?
1: If you have a customer, internal or external, if you have stakeholders, internal or external, the same applies. It's just a matter of scale. The owner of the company, in a small company, often has that personal liability for what the company does or doesn't do. That environmental health and safety professional is an insurance policy helping them buffer that risk and what they're doing to protect themselves. We can also help them with understanding how to help their customers. Because many times, people go out into the workforce. They they provide either a product or a service to a customer. That customer needs to know that it's being handled with someone of high quality, of high ethics, that's doing the right things, not taking shortcuts that will get them or the person doing the job in trouble or hurt. You I mean, know, those, are, those are very important things for, for a company, regardless of the size.
0: <clears throat> one of the things that we're finding as we're working with clients is it seems as if the issues that our customers have are almost universal, regardless of the size. Um, and one thing you made a comment on that kind of caught my attention, too, and that is you defined the customers not only as the folks who buy carbon black but you put particular emphasis on the internal customers. Do you believe that that emphasis on internal customers has helped you and helped your group be considered very much part of
1: being at the table? Absolutely. Um, One of the things, in order to be effective, you have to understand the issues that your customers face. So for me, I'm gonna take a manufacturing plant, that's where I'm most comfortable as, as a scenario. So when I come in as an EHS professional, I have to deal with planning, production, quality, management, facilities, utilities, etc. If I'm viewed as a necessary evil, I'm kind of put to the side. But if I can participate with those individuals to understand what they're working on, what their needs are, I can help them get to where they want to go. It's much easier to be a part of the solution at the front end, sitting at the table, than at the back end when there's a problem. And and part of the way that I've done that over the years is I've asked to participate in plant meetings, for example, when the management team meets, not because I'm being nosy and I want to interject my professional aspects there, but because I want to understand what's going on in the plant, where the challenges are. Provide from my background, how we might address that. But the most important thing that I'm doing at those meetings is building a relationship. If I can build a relationship when it's not a crisis, the people know they can come to me and count on me for guidance and insight. One of the other things that's very important for me is anonymity of sources. So when I talk to people in the plant and they point something out, that's a concern or an issue, and I I have the the role to take that on and address it, I make a point of not necessarily saying where that information came from because I want to build a network where people are comfortable talking to me even about the most confidential and concerning things to them. We have to work together as a team. I have that obligation in in my role as EHS professional, but I want to help them get the job and the, the, the risk addressed. That's the biggest thing. That's what EHS professionals are doing in that consulting role, is building that networking so that they can help the other members of the plant team or the business organization to be successful with their realm, whether it's quality, whether it's human resources, whether it's production.
0: Because we had a chance to work together, I know that we kind of view our respective roles in very similar light when I was in a corporate role, it was my sense that our job is to support the business and to effectively support the business from an HR perspective, you had to understand the business. It sounds as if that's exactly what you're sharing with our listeners today. And that is you've got to know the business, you've got to know the drivers, you've got to know the stakeholders, both internally and externally. And something I've picked up, and I don't know to what extent that would apply to the folks listening in, but what I'm finding is a sense of what you're doing for your employees also matters to the general public. Are you finding that people are interested to know how well you take care of your employees? Does that appear on any audits that you might have to go through as a company with potential um, customers?
1: Absolutely. Um, We see a lot of uh, audits coming from our customer base, and I have throughout my career seen a lot of them. When I worked in North Georgia in the textile industry, and the flooring industry, we had major corporations come in and audit uh, the product, but part of what they looked for was the environmental health and safety aspect. If you think about how much companies often spend on marketing and advertising, every one of your employees is the best marketing and advertising you have in the community where you operate. That's critical because that community where you operate gives you your license to operate. Whether you're within the bounds of the law or not, an upheaval in the community because of something that's happened at your location with your people can cause you to shut down. We've seen that countless times across the US, and we've seen I've seen it countless times across the world. Even though you're in full compliance with the law, the community is upset and frustrated with what's happening at your location. They work with the authorities and it becomes untenable for you to remain there. So you close the business or leave that leave that area.
0: You know, we have learned loud and clear from clients that with social media. There are far fewer secrets than it once was. If you don't take care of your employee, take care of them, they'll make it known they're not being taken care of through social media. If you're not providing a safe work environment for the employees, they'll make it known. If you're not doing what you need to do to be a good environmental steward, word gets out. Um, Absolutely. And I'm hearing you say that kind of loud and clear. You know, Randy, as we kind of launched this podcast, and we're new into this, so we're gonna kind of feel our way through it. But one of the things that we wanted to do is ask each of our guests um, an example of where they maybe either personally or professionally or the company they work for found themselves kind of getting stuck. And what we're interested in is what did you do to get unstuck?
1: Well, it's, it's a great question, Mike, and it's happened multiple times in my career where uh, you run into a barrier or roadblock, and that's kind of how I view getting stuck. In my role within within Beer La Carbon, I'll use that as an example. I came in from outside the organization. Uh, I'm working with a group of people, many of whom have been there 25 plus years. Significant longevity, significant knowledge in the company. I'm an outsider. I'm from outside the carbon black business. I'm trying to work closely with the C-suite around the world. Uh, We were organized in in a multitude of regions, uh, some near North America, some far, Far East Asia. Getting to know those leaders and bringing forward uh, the new concept that I shared with you of kind of, you know, adding value to their organization, being a part of what drives them to success was challenging you get all sorts of personalities that you get to deal with, uh, all types of different management styles. I ran into a specific senior leader uh, and working with my boss, literally in my goals, I had one of my personal goals for the year was to build a specific relationship with this individual. That meant taking time outside of what I would normally do to get to know the individual. Whenever I had the opportunity to be in person with them, not talk about business, but talk about getting to know them, them getting to know me as well, getting to know who I am, the character that I bring to the table, and the dedication that I bring to helping them. The other thing that that helped me with that is, even though it was a 13-hour time difference, is making myself available to them on their business hours. Um, it, it was really interesting to hear the feedback that I got. With the 13-hour time difference being here in the States, you can imagine... Uh, five o'clock in the morning is six p.m. in their location. Ten o'clock at night is nine in the morning for them. Uh, nine or ten in the morning for them. So that that time difference can become a real detriment. So very early on in my career, I decided that uh, since I have to drive to Marietta each day for work, or used to before COVID, um, I would take that time, starting at about five a.m., and be able to interact with my colleagues in Far East Asia during their business day. And they thought that was extremely unusual. Why would you do this? And, and I spent time explaining to them that they are my customer. I am a part of their organization. I'm part of the service that, that helps them succeed. But I want to be a part of their organization. So I have to do business during their time, not on my time. And I've taught that to the junior team members that I have. And it served us very well. Uh, One of my team members has moved on now to another multinational organization, and she's taken that approach with her, and it's been met with a great response from the C-suite in her organization, but specifically spending time building that relationship, and it was a difficult relationship. Even even my colleagues in the C-suite said that you're going to have a hard time with this person, but now I've gotten to the point where instead of me picking up the phone and questioning what's happening, I'm getting phone calls from he and his colleagues within his organization of, hey, Randy, this is what could be happening. What can we do or how can you help us? So going from reactionary to proactive has been a huge switch, but that's been an investment of time and effort on my behalf of specifically focusing on that relationship because once I achieved a stronger relationship with that leader, that trickled down to the rest of his organization and they felt a level of comfort in contacting me about those things that might have been a little dicey before. Now they're free to talk with me and also now talking with my team because we've all worked on building those relationships. So we went from a a situation where we only heard about things after the fact, which is very difficult to do halfway around the world, to now being at the front end and engaged as things are happening and before they're happening, to be able to provide real-time guidance and assistance to hopefully avoid some of those pitfalls that we have seen and experienced in our careers. So can we break
0: down some of the things you just shared with us? What I understood is what was getting you stuck organizationally is you had a key internal customer who was known to be difficult to deal with.
1: Absolutely.
0: You accepted that challenge, and you knew that the only way that's going to be changed is intentional effort on your part and your team's part. And what I understand you to say is that you had some added constraints. You had a 12-plus-hour time zone difference. You had what would probably be um, cultural differences, not company culture, but literally cultural differences to contend with. And what I heard you say that was really important, and that is if you're going to have effect within that person's organization, it all ran through that person. So that if that being stuck couldn't get unstuck, it meant that your and your team's ability to work with that organization at that location or that region, it's compromised.
1: Absolutely, Mike, you hit the nail on the head getting this person on board, getting this person confident in what my team and I can bring to the table. And I say my team and I, because it's not just me, it is the people that that work with me and for me that that are a key part of this. I have to be able to open that doorway to enable them to get their job done. But working through that individual was at the top of my list of activities. That was 20% of our business regions that was important to us. It was the the area where there were the most environmental changes, the most needs around safety activity. Um, And now I can can say with great confidence, that region of the world is now leading our organization safety-wise, leading the organization in proactive activities with our risk insurers, with our environment, and helping others understand that... um, No, those are excuses, you can get that done. If we can get that done here, you can get that done in Europe, the US, South America, et cetera. So they've actually become advocates for my team and I because of the investment we've made with them.
0: That's a a phenomenal example of realizing if you don't take a proactive stance, nothing's going to change. And it sounds as if through concerted effort and investment, and what i'm hearing you say is that you were very intentional in investing time and energy first in the relationship between that key leader and over time relationship resulted in uh, rapport and what i'm hearing you say is that that one example they went from being maybe kind of lagging to now being leading and seen throughout the world as advocating for what you and your team actually does. That's a great story. You also said something else, Randy, that I wanna comment on. I know this about you, but the folks who are listening in might not. And that is, you mentioned that you had a team member who left and went to work for another multinational. And you said it almost with a sense of pride because this person left And it sounds as if the kinds of things that y'all worked there, she was able to take with her there in her new role. And that mentoring that you just described, it felt as if that was a mentor relationship. Is that a fair description?
1: Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that has uh, shocked some of the, the staff that I've inherited as I've taken new roles and leadership roles is that my job is to prepare them to replace me. To, for me to share all of the knowledge that I can with them, to bring their skill set, their knowledge up to the level that I'm at, so I can work on different things. Um, you know, many times it's like, well, why, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to give me all of the knowledge and be able to replace you? Because if I can do that, I can ha- work on other things that may be higher value to the organization than what I'm working on today. And that mentoring is critical. And part of that was uh, building up not just the technical skills, but the soft skills of how to deal with the C-suite, how to deal with leaders, how to deal with that floor sweeper in the plant when they have a concern. The same value goes to both the C-suite and the guy on the floor, because in my world, they both bleed red. I don't care where I am in the world. My goal is to keep them safe and make sure that we're delivering on the promises we've made to them. So helping her understand that. And unfortunately, I didn't have a growth position for her in a reasonable amount of time. She was presented with a unique opportunity that I told her she couldn't pass up. She needed to take that opportunity. Now, obviously when she left, there were a lot of tears, a lot of hugs, but we have stayed in touch. We continue to work together now as peers and with different companies, different learning. And that networking is so important for for me to continue to learn because she brings now a different industry to the table and learning that she's experiencing that I can take advantage of and share with now within my organization as we continue to grow and replace.
0: Randy, I love the humbleness in which you just shared that. And that is, she's went from being uh, a direct report to being a peer. And in doing so, it means that you could pick up the phone and compare notes. She could do the exact same thing with you and lean from each other. Um, That would be probably the embodiment of what is it we're trying to accomplish with these podcasts. We would like to introduce folks to leaders like you who understand the big picture of leading, understand that what goes with leadership are the things that you're just describing. You have to invest in relationships if you're going to build trust, if you're going to have rapport, if you are gonna be seen as a contributor uh, amongst senior leadership. You've also shared with us today the value of building your team and giving your team opportunity to do the same thing. As evidence, when one of your team members moved on is that she takes with her an idea of what a high-performing team really looks like, and that's a real contribution that you're making to to your profession. Uh, Randy, it's hard to imagine that we have just zipped through the time that we have here, but I anticipated that you're gonna be a great guest, but sure enough, you have been most helpful uh, in just kind of sharing who you are. We will be including in the show notes contact information, whereas if you want to follow up with Randy, if anything that he may have brought up on, uh, let me encourage you to do just that. Um, So thank you, Randy, for being with us today and lending your expertise and opening up your personal experiences uh, to our listeners. Thank you.
1: My pleasure, Mike. Thank you for inviting me, and hopefully everyone will stay safe and stay healthy.
0: Well, I trust that's going to be the case, and as we kind of wrap up, I do want to thank everyone who has joined us for this episode of Getting Unstuck and on Target. We're lining up great guests like Randy here because I'm confident you're going to enjoy getting to know them, and we have found that Thursdays have been kind of a special day for us at Bench Builders, and For that reason we're going to be uploading the latest episode of this podcast every thursday Um, we hope that you're going to subscribe to this podcast be it on your favorite platform be it itunes spotify and we encourage you to invite your fellow business owners key leaders and hr professionals to do the same for those who prefer a visual format you'll notice that we have recorded this in a video and we're going to be uploading this segment Um, on YouTube, and you can access it um, uh, through our website. You can subscribe uh, by going to our website, bench-builders.com, and there will be a drop-down box, and you can simply subscribe to it, and we hope you'll do just that. Um, When you go to the website, you also have opportunity to subscribe to our blog, and we hope that the kind of information we're sharing, you'll find useful. But again, I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope you've picked up from Randy some tips that will help you get unstuck and on target. And until next time, be safe. See you soon. Thanks, everybody.